We're back for another episode of the Box Jumper Podcast, or should I say a special RX Plus supersized version of the Box Jumper Podcast, because this one is my very first two-part episode. Most CrossFitters are aware of some of the well-known gear makers out there, and we've all got our favorite suppliers for everything from barbells to kettlebells, shoes to gymnastic grips. If you listen to my CrossFitter Christmas wishlist episode, you'll know that high on the list of early buys for your gear bag is and should be your own rope. It's one of the more affordable and frequently used pieces of gear that you should have, and so you'll undoubtedly get lots of value out of having your own. Yeah, your gym may have a perfectly adequate supply of shared ropes hanging on a rack on the wall, but there's a few fundamental challenges with relying on that. The first that immediately comes to mind is under today's circumstances in particular. Shared gear is certainly not advisable during a pandemic. So for that new reason alone, it's worth having your own. But there are other considerations as well. Not all ropes will work for you, and in fact, a select few will. We're all pretty different. And so we have to balance our differences against considerations like rope shape while spinning, rotation speed, durability, comfort, and critically, rope length and weight. Not to mention availability. Once you find the rope that you like and it works for you at the gym, it becomes your favorite and then skipping comes up in the workout and suddenly someone else has your favorite rope before you manage to get to it. If you had your own, you'd solve that problem, along with many other problems, and you'd be able to practice on your own when you're not at the gym. So yes, if you don't already have your own rope, there's not a lot of reason to wait. But you will have to shop around for what works best for you, because as I said, we're all pretty different. Remember that the favorite gear makers uh, we all have, well, that applies to ropes as well. So that's why I was so excited to be able to talk to my guest for this supersized episode, David Newman, the CEO of RX Smart Gear. RX Smart Gear is a recognizable name, not just in the CrossFit space, but in several other high-profile fitness arenas as well, uh, as the official jump rope of USA Boxing, USA Wrestling, USA Judo, USA Artistic Swimming, and USA Functional Fitness. When I finally had my aha moment and learned double-unders, after quite a bit of procrastination due to bad knees, as well as a number of false starts in the learning process, I got them using the original RX Smart Rope from RX Smart Gear. And I continue to use their ropes, gradually refining my skills and working with multiple cable weights, cut to a custom length that work best for me, busting out sets of over 100 unbroken double-unders when I'm fresh, and pretty consistently more than 50 even when I'm absolutely trashed. All that is to say, I do find that they work. At least, they work for me. During the pandemic, RX Gear, unable to travel freely and conduct training seminars around the country as they once did, They released a video, um, or a video series rather, on YouTube, breaking down their RX method methodology for learning double-unders, hosted by David Newman. As an athlete and a coach, I was thoroughly impressed, and so that prompted me to reach out to RX Smart Gear um, to see if I might be able to speak with David for the podcast. Not only did he get back to me, he was incredibly generous with his time and had some really great stories to share about how he started making his own ropes to help himself refine his double-unders, how that passion became a growing garage business, how that business grew into a supplier to athletes of all skill levels across the globe, how those products have been used by elite athletes at regionals and the games, and what lies ahead for his growing business. Before I knew it, we had chatted for two hours, but it didn't feel like it. So, in 10 seconds, we'll start with part one of this special two-part episode, skipping through the stages of David's career and what led RX Smart Gear from the garage in 2008 to today's growing enterprise with global reach. Mr. David Newman, welcome to the Box Jumper Podcast. Thanks. Good morning, John. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, I, I understand that uh, uh, you know things are a little bit more hectic on uh, on your coast. Um, I hope things are starting to settle down um, with the the fires that have been raging throughout California. Um, how are things in your area? You're just a little bit outside of uh, San Diego, is that right? Correct. Yeah. We're. I mean, you know. Officially, unofficially, San Diego, just East County of San Diego in a community called El Cajon. Um, luckily, 
quite far from all the fires, which are up in uh, uh, NorCal, you know, near Santa Cruz and and up to um, Napa Valley. Right. So yeah, we've we've been very fortunate, but we have a lot of friends and, and gym owners up there that we're definitely keeping our fingers crossed for, and hope they stay out of harm's way. Oh yeah, I don't doubt it. I, I've got a client that's in the Bay Area, and uh, his gym has been waffling back and forth between allowed to have classes outside and not allowed to have classes outside because they've had so much issue with the the smoke. Um, so it's been really challenging. And, uh, you know, he's been CrossFitting for a few years now. I introduced him to it uh, on one of my last visits uh, out to meet with him. Right. And, um, you know, he's been going strong ever since. But uh, it's been a, a difficult season for sure for everybody concerned, especially well, between, you know, balancing between the COVID restrictions and the fire restrictions. And they don't always... Uh, go together. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, they're definitely challenging a lot of people and, and hopefully if, if people can sustain and, and hang on and kind of get through uh, the worst of it, I think it's just going to make them that much stronger business owners and, um, you know, with a lot more tools at their disposal, um, you know, trying to figure out ways to, to stay, um, you know, fruitful during this period. So, that's for sure. I mean, it's it's changing business practices for uh, a lot within a lot of different industries. Um, now we're 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 going to talk about the business that you're in um, in short order. But even before we get into what it is that you do now, I'm you know it's it's clear that you've as as the CEO of a company that that manufactures equipment that is so heavily used within the functional fitness space. Um, you know, you've got a, a deep background in that yourself. So I'd like to kind of go back to the beginning and, and find out, um, you know, how'd you get into fitness? What was your, what was your, uh, your path like when you were growing up? Were you just a, a, a sport kid or did that wind up coming later in life? Um, you know, pretty average, average, um, you know, active kid and, and got into, um, gymnastics and football and snow skiing at a, at a pretty young age. Those were, those were kind of the primary sports that I think I was drawn to. Uh, or water skiing and, and motorcycle riding as well. But um, yeah, just, you know, pretty normal, um, you know, very, very brief introduction to formal gymnastics um, right around junior high school. And unfortunately, you know, military parents moving all over the place, there wasn't always a facility that we could go participate in, especially for boys um, in gymnastics. So, you know, really never became, um, you know, highly competitive, in that sport, but always loved it, always stayed around it, always, you know, try to keep practicing what little I did know and whatnot. Um, but uh, that, that eventually led to a, a, a coaching career in gymnastics, which was a big part of my, my young adult life. Right. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I think football was probably my, my main sport you know, and wrestling, but mostly football uh, growing up. And uh, yeah, so I've been fairly active. How far flung were your postings? I'm just curious because I came from a military family as well. Um, you mean like distances? Like how far How far did we... Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, did you wind up staying even reasonably local or did you really wind up having to move around a lot? Well, so my father was in the army and uh, I think, you know, army seems to have a little bit more... Um, uh, I mean, they're like usually every three years, I think. I don't know if that's what you you encountered with whatever service your folks were in. More or less, my dad was a combination of Navy and Air Force because he was he was logistics. Wow. Um, so being in that particular specialized area meant that he didn't move as much as some of his counterparts, for sure. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, it's really interesting because uh, you know moving to San Diego, where it's a huge um, naval um, population, obviously, and mm. you know, and and during college, I, I dated a, a girl whose father was uh, was an officer in the in the Navy. And uh, it was just interesting to learn that, you know, uh, Navy, naval assignments can be in the same post for a long time. I mean, there's some people that seems like they almost spend their whole career in San Diego, which is phenomenal. Uh, but then it seems like naval personnel gets deployed, you know, once a year or every 18 months or something. They're on a six-month deployment, you know, which is, was new to me as well. Um, yeah, so, in, you know, being a military brat growing up, um, yeah, typically every three years. Um, but the, the, the tail end, my father was winding down his career, you know, did his 20 years by the time I was uh, midway through high school. And so, you know, part of the challenge for him was just trying to figure out where he wanted to settle down. He was kind of undecided on, on where we were going to live. So uh, I ended up changing high school six times 
uh, oh, wow. when I graduated. So, um, but yeah, so uh, nowhere too exotic. I mean, my mother's Korean. Uh, my father met my mother, you know, kind of a, almost a standard military story, but, you know, met, met her overseas in Korea. And, and, um, and so, you know, my two older brothers were born overseas. I'd spent a little bit of time when I was an infant um, in Korea. And then most of it has been stateside, um, you know, from Anchorage, Alaska, down to um, Fort Benning, Georgia. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's about it. How long were you coaching gymnastics? I coached gymnastics for, gosh, um, close to 15 years. Close to 15 years, but like, you know, real um, steadily and, and kind of as a primary source of income for, you know, more than half of that, probably, you know, nine or 10 years, it was, it was, you know, main, main focus. Um, at one point I thought it was going to be my career. Like, okay, I think this is what I'm, you know, I even dropped out of college for a couple of years and just focused on, on honing my craft as a gymnastics coach. And, um, um, yeah, so it's just, it's really difficult to make a, a, a living, at least in my mind, you know, to make a living, coaching gymnastics unless you own the own the gym and you know having a lot of friends that own gyms and kind of seeing what that grind was like I don't know that that was ever really in my cards so um yeah so I, I um ended up going back to college finishing my degree and um and then just kind of stumbled into the real estate business with my my brothers my brothers were already in the real estate business back in the back in the mid mid 90s and and um, they, they said, hey, why don't you get your license and come come work with the family until you figure out what you want to do. And so, yeah, so I went from coaching gymnastics to uh, real estate for and did that for about 15 years. <laughs> was it sales or investment or both? Um, it was mostly residential residential sales and, and finance, you know, both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So was that your introduction or the, your your deep introduction to the business side of things? Absolutely. Or was, I mean, how much of what was your college degree in, for example? Criminal justice. Ah, so not directly related anyway. No, no. Criminal justice. Uh, as I was finishing up my degree, I, I the intent was to go to law school. And um, so, you know, criminal justice was um, just an interesting field and, um, and you know, never, never any thoughts on, on law enforcement or anything like that. But um, when I finished my degree, of course, because I took a couple years off, you know, I was a little bit older than the average student when I graduated. And at that point, I was, I was pretty burnt out with school. So that's when I decided I'm, I'm not going to, you know, even try to, uh, you know, get into a law school if I could have even gotten in, honestly. And so, um, uh, yeah, so then the, the brothers were were uh, pretty heavy into real estate and it was, be, you know, before the big uh, crazy boom. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, you really had to really had to grind and cut your teeth and and work long hours to, to kind of make it in that business. So it was, uh, yeah, definitely my first introduction to, to a, a service oriented business, which was, which was pretty phenomenal. I mean, just a lot of great lessons learned from that service type. I know it's sales. Uh, I never like to approach it as sales. Well, it's, it's pretty entrepreneurial too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, it's a lot of, yeah, a lot of self-promotion, which I wasn't yeah. good at. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, 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 the agents that were better at self-promotion, obviously, uh, uh, seemed to do better. That just wasn't my style. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, I really didn't look at it as sales, looked at it as a service. You know, people, you know, they wanted a home and, you know, we provided a service to help them find it. And, you know, they needed financing. We wanted to provide the service to help them, you know, uh, secure the financing. So really approached it from that point of, point of view. And, um, and consequently, I think, you know, was able to service my client base, you know, much more, um, um, what's a, I don't know a good way to say this, but it sounds know. like a complete package. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Much, much, much more thorough and, uh, much more handholding. And our, our whole approach when, uh, when we were in that business was to educate our clients as much as we could and really let them make decisions. They'll pick the home that they like. I'm not going to try and you know, sell them a home, they'll pick the financing that's going to fit their family's, you know, financial structure. Um, I'm, I'm not going to pick that for them. My, my job was to just educate them, you know, give them the pros and cons of, of you know, the house, what was good about it, what was bad about it. Uh, and, uh, and, and that was a funny, that was a funny reaction initially to get from, you know, some new buyers when you're taking them to these beautiful homes and, 
right away, you know, our goal was to kind of call out all the negatives, you know, the things that we, we, we thought if it was our home, here's something I would not be happy about, or I need to pay attention to. And, and, uh, because we, we want, you know, we want them to know what they're getting into. Uh, and, and ultimately they always appreciated that, that type of, uh, approach and the, and the honesty and same thing with financing, you know, financing is just a tool. You've got to use it properly and you, it has to fit your sensibilities and kind of your financial structures and how you approach your, you know, your, um, you know, your finances. So, um, yeah, so it was very much a service oriented business, or at least that's the way we approached it. And that's how we, um, you know, felt most comfortable doing that. And then, you know, it got, it got pretty crazy for a while when the, the market took off and, and was just going gangbusters. And we saw a lot of, um, a lot of criminal activity and a lot of uh, uh, bad characters come come into the fold that were out to make a buck and you know like pushing the envelope. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it it, it kind of became a dirty career to me, you know, for a while there. I, there was a point there before the big crash that I was almost embarrassed to say that I was a real estate broker because it was just you know I mean everybody had a, had a real estate license or a broker's license, you know, uh, back in the early thousands. So yeah, but you know, but I, I, I definitely learned a lot of amazing lessons um, just on, on how to, you know, how to service clients and keep them happy and, and build their trust and build a relationship. And, and that was our goal doing that business was, you know, we, we really wanted to put all of our efforts into uh, building that connection and, and providing a phenomenal service to that, that customer so that they become a longtime client. You know, they're not just mm-hmm. a one-time customer and they'll come back to us. They won't even think twice about, you know, shopping around for, you know, another uh, provider. Um, and they'll refer their family and friends because of the trust level. So, so you know, I took those lessons and that approach and, and moved it forward into, you know, the this business and any other businesses that we've been involved with. So, uh, and it, you know, it's, it's treated us well. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like uh, you know, as as a learning experience, it wound up becoming just uh, you know a core part of the values that that you hold as a business person that would then carry with you whatever you decided to do next. A hundred percent, hundred percent, and 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 not just as a business person, really. I mean, I think um, just as a human being, you know, you you kind of you operate within your own skin on how comfortable you feel um, with different tactics, different strategies, different approaches, and um, you know. I, yeah, I, I I always wanted to sleep well at night, and I always want to know that I'm helping people and and um, you know uh, making the relationship a beneficial relationship for sure. Well, it's certainly nice to you know through experience determine where your comfort zone is for providing that um, you know that relationship building side of things and and how it applies to your everyday, particularly if you're going to run a company. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm I'm. I have to imagine that you discovered uh, functional fitness or CrossFit before um, deciding to start tackling how to make gear better. So where along this this journey did you wind up getting involved in functional fitness? And was it just something that you fell into or was it a a rather deliberate effort to, um, you know, burn off some of the the energy and, and stress of your day job? Yeah, right. Uh, not deliberate at all. You know, um, it, it's kind of a domino effect because the, you know, the crash, the crash of 08, um, you know, we, we took some pretty big lumps, you know, uh, during that time, which taught us again, taught us some more amazing lessons about business and about life as well. And so, um, you know, we found ourselves having to downsize our offices and, you know, um, regroup and recalibrate and figure out how we were going to, you know, uh, keep a career going. And so definitely had a lot more free time in my hands. Um, and I, you know, I had a, a good friend who, uh, our kids, you know, started kindergarten together and kind of went up through school together. And so, uh, he was my ski buddy, but he got, um, involved in CrossFit in 2007 and he would, uh, you know, we'd get together for dinners and whatnot. And he would just, you know, like typical CrossFitters could not stop talking about it man was so obnoxious. And at the time, I think I'd, I'd kind of gone through probably a, a, almost a decade window, a decade long window of inactivity, you know, besides, you know, snow skiing, you know, during holidays and whatnot, and just kind of recreating things, just really stopped 
you know, taking care of my, my health and exercising and, and staying in shape. And I was just so focused on, on business, uh, which, which was a horrible oversight, you know, I mean, it just wasn't back, part of your daily routine. It wasn't, and it wasn't, well, I didn't prioritize it. I mean, I could have, I absolutely mm-hmm. could have, um, but it just, yeah, it was just something. And, and the funny thing is I went from, I went from literally running a marathon uh, being pretty, pretty felt, you know, and, and, uh, in a, you know, pretty light walking around weight, uh, running a marathon, I had run a series of half marathons, um, and made a goal to, to run at least one marathon, kind of get it off the bucket list and, uh, actually ran the very first, um, the inaugural rock and roll marathon in 98, 1998. Mm. And, um, it was the first one in San Diego. And so, um, as soon as I was, you know, done with that, I wasn't intentional. I have no idea why, but kind of hung up my shoes and just stopped exercising. And I, and I look back and I still don't have a reason for that. I really don't know, you know, what kind of led to that. But anyways, 10 years of inactivity, you know, so I'm, I'm overweight, out of shape, you know, probably worst shape I've ever been in. Um, and, um, you know, my buddy kept trying to get me into, you know, talking me into CrossFit. And, you know, 07 was pretty early into the kind yeah, of, I was going to say that's early days. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like CrossFit started, started, the wheels started turning where more people across the country, you know, here and there were hearing about it kind of 05, 06, 07, you know, I kind of call those the early years. And so, you know, I would just blow my friend off because uh, it just literally sounded atrocious. No interest at all. Didn't understand a thing he was saying. And I remember him going to his L1 and we, we were having dinner during, you know, like the evening, uh, of his L1, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and he's of course telling us everything that happened during the day. And of course they did Fran back in the day, everybody was doing Fran, uh, before people started peeling off the bars and landing on their, on their head. Um, and so he's describing Fran and how it destroyed him, And, you know, and it just, you know, of course I'm drinking beer and shoving, you know, food in my face as he's telling me this. And, um, yeah, just no interest whatsoever. And, um, you know, at some point, you know, I, after you know, it probably took him six to eight months to finally talk me into it. And I'm like, all right, I'll go with you just to shut him up, I guess. And mm-hmm. you know, we went to the early, like 5am class, which, you know, I wasn't used to getting up that early to go exercise. Um, and, you know, did the workout, which, you know, wasn't a difficult workout. It was, it was three different couplets and, um, three different couplets of 2115 nine. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, I had to scale everything. And at the end of it, I puked, you know, it was horrible. And back then, you know, when, when CrossFitters were a little bit more Neanderthals and archaic, that was kind of your badge of honor, you know, <laughs> yeah. goading me into going harder and keep going. And, and until I eventually puked and then he's just laughing his butt off, you know, so, um, you know, now I, I, I'm highly against that, you know, that, that mentality. Um, uh, but yeah. And I just, I thought, wow, that was the worst experience and I'm never coming back. Absolutely. You know, did it once now I can get them off my back. And, um, and after I went home and took a shower and had some coffee and settled down, heart rate finally dropped, you know, and then you start to feel that little bit of soreness, like, oh, wow, I did something, you know? Mm. My body's waking back up after a decade of, of being in hibernation, literally. Uh, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go back two days later. So I went back two days later uh, to the morning class, threw up again. And, uh, and I was like, okay, uh, I, you know, um, didn't stop. So it's been over 12 years. I've uh, been going, you know, religiously. It, like you said, it's part of the routine. It's part of the lifestyle. It's part of the priorities, you know, my, you know, set of priorities and yeah. uh, been a member my wife and I've been a member of uh, CrossFit East County. That was the, the first gym we ever walked into. And, you know, same owners, Paul and Tina Flores are very good friends of ours. And yeah, in fact, their gym is literally next door, or I should say across the alley um, from the RX headquarters. So kind of as our business grew and, and, and moved into an industrial building, we, uh, they needed to grow and move and we, we would kind of influence them to move close to us. So we're literally, we'd roll our back door to our facility and look right into the roll up door of, of the gym. So it's pretty awesome. 
I, I was noticing on Google Maps that there's an elite gymnastics uh, facility right nearby as well. Is that coincidence or is it something to do with your background as well? No, no, very coincidental, actually. Um, yeah, Elite Gymnastics is right across the street, and and before they moved across the street from us, they were they were in the same building that CrossFit East County is is in. They were they were on the opposite opposite on the north end of the building, took up like nine thousand square feet. And my kids took gymnastics there. I have two boys who are who are now teenagers, but when they were younger, uh, elementary school age, you know, they took gymnastics at Elite, and then um, and then Elite ended up moving. From that, you know, a little over nine thousand square foot uh, warehouse to across the street into like sixteen thousand, and um, very coincidental that we moved down here, you know, uh, into this building. And um, but it was really cool to have all that familiarity. Mm. So, so Crossfitties County, which is now in the south end of that that building that Elite used to inhabit. Um, they originally moved into Elite's old space, the ni- the ninety two hundred square foot spot. That's that's where we kind of helped. You know, we kind of uh, invested and and helped fund some of that move to to get them into that big gym and uh, and get it you know equipped and all the all the rigs and everything. It, it was a fantastic facility, and um, so yeah, so they were in the old gymnastics space. And after his first, um, you know, five-year lease, you know, was about to was about to expire, you know, the owner just decided it was just, you know, too much space for him. It's not he didn't want to run his business to where he had to always hunt down new clients and and you know um, try and get you know new new faces through the door. And mm-hmm. he just really wanted to focus on coaching clients. You know, he doesn't doesn't really like the the kind of marketing end of of the business, and so. Um, he wanted a downside, so he, he moved into uh, like about a 5,400 square foot space on the opposite side of that same building, which is closer to us. It's literally, you know, like right off the back alleyway. So, yeah, so it's awesome. That's, you know, I was I'm there every day and, and uh, it's the second home for sure. How much did your, your background in gymnastics influence your journey into CrossFit? I mean, it, were, were some of those early workouts, uh, incorporating gymnastic movements that you just immediately fell into or, or did you wind up getting kicked in the face with completely different types of uh, movements originally? Oh, I mean, all, all the above. I mean, you know, my, my, like, again, I wasn't a high level gymnastics, but a, a gymnast, but I was, you know, I was competent, you know, and I have had, I feel pretty good body awareness. And, and, uh, so, you know, which is a major advantage really going in. I mean, uh, you know, I've, I, I certainly see the difference in the people that I coach now, people that have had at least a small amount of gymnastics experience. It really shows in just how they move and their awareness of their, their body movement through space. And those of us like me that had zero gymnastics experience and just have to kind of muddle the way through with it until you start to feel a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, when you when you get the opportunity to start um, gymnastics at a younger age and kind of ingrain that that understanding of of your your you know um, your body's movement and mm-hmm. how it moves through space, how it moves around objects, you know, or in between objects. I mean, that that's a that's a huge. You're you're dead on. It's a huge advantage. And so, and again, me not being you know the, the high high level gymnast, you know, my mine was average, you know, so, you know, coming in, it's like doing gymnastics movements and CrossFit, you know, I would, I would pick them up reasonably well, uh, you know, muscle ups and handstand pushups and walking on your hands and things like that, you know, uh, weren't, weren't horrible, uh, horrible experiences, Olympic lifting, whole different sport, a whole different, you know, mm. upset there. That's something that I'm, you know, not, not good at struggled at, you know, um, snatch and overhead squats and anything with that type of shoulder mobility has always been a a huge weakness. And, and so, um, yeah, so you, you know, you, like you said, you definitely get kicked in the face somewhere else. You know, you think you got something nailed, you turn the corner and you get, you get hammered by something else. So right. That's what makes you want to keep getting better. Yeah. So how long, uh, like what, what, what prompted you to, to start looking at, you know, some form of business that has something to do with this, external pursuit that that you had with crossfit um you know what the honestly um the, the product came way before the thought of a business right the product mm-hmm. the product 
was was um, you know necessary just because it, I think the so the funny thing is is like you intimated you know being decent at gymnastics I, I was picking up skills probably faster than some of uh, my workout buddies and and then as my fitness improved and you know I dropped a lot of the excess weight I was carrying around. Um, you know, I was, I would, I was actually doing better at CrossFit, you know, as far as like, Oh, I'm beating my buddies in these wads. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, that was a great feeling, you know, great feeling of, 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 you know, confidence builder and, and all those good things. Uh, except for when it came to a double under workout for whatever reason with, with, you know, what I felt was like a decent level of coordination and comfortable with a jump rope and, and whatever else. I was just horrible at that movement. It was just one of those things that did not come naturally. Mm -hmm. And I was just a, you know, flailing duck, you know, literally uh, running across a hot bed of coals. And, um, and, and so that be kind of came the running joke in the gym because I was so used to beating my buddies at workouts until a double in a workout came along. And then I would just get shredded and they would just, you know, laugh their butts off because I'm over there you know, just flailing away, trying to get through the set of dubs and, you know, they're, they're already finishing up the workout. And so, right. you know, so it was all fun. It was all fun and cheeky. Like, you know, there's never any hard feelings about it. I knew that that was just something I sucked at and, you know, uh, it's like, okay, I got to figure this out. So just, just started the journey of like trying to assess what's going on there. Like why, you know, why, why am I sucking so bad when I feel like I could be, or should be, you know, better at it. And so, mm -hmm. You know, I call it the golfer's mentality. Everybody starts off with a golfer's mentality. I, I don't know if you golf, but, you know. Yeah, I, I, not real, well, but. <laughs> right, same, same here. Uh, but in real estate, you know, I used to golf a lot. That was kind of the thing. You're on the golf course a lot with, with clients and wh whoever else, bankers and whatnot. But, um, you know, if you hit, a, you hit a big slice off the tee, typically we're like, well, got to go buy a new uh, driver, right? <laughs> yeah, new driver. Blame the equipment. It's not me. Exactly, exactly. So I started off, yeah, just started off buying different jump ropes because, you know, the funny thing is, is, is uh, our gym, you know, or the gym I go to, CrossFit East County, uh, was your, your stereotypical CrossFit gym in the early day. I mean, you know, the owner uh, is a fantastic guy and, you know, very, very accomplished coach and um, an athlete himself. Uh, been to the games a couple times as a master's. Um, you know, he, he would just have a bunch of odd and end jump ropes hanging on a hook in the corner Mm -hmm. And that was such a, an afterthought, you know, like jump ropes were just jump ropes. As long as it had a cord and two handles, nothing else, nobody really gave a whole lot of attention to what, you know, what you needed, um, you know, for a jump rope. So, you know, I'm, I'm rushing over and, and um, finding that one jump rope on the wall that had the green handles, right? <laughs> yeah, the favorite. The favorite. There was the one that I'm like, okay, this one I can connect three in a row more often than with any other jump rope, right? And mm -hmm. like, I got to get that rope before somebody else does. And I remember that being such a thing. And then if somebody else got got there before me and got that rope, I was, you know, I was I was so you know dejected. And um, so then, so I started there, like, you know, let me go buy my own jump rope and let me see if I can just get a better rope and and uh, have better success. And you know, it was the same. Same thing, you know, a little, little bit of improvement, but really no consistency, right? Nothing lasting. And, you know, so I'd go buy a different jump rope. And that went on for a while until I had a whole box of jump ropes, um, nearly new, you know. Yeah. And um, so then that's kind of where the, the, the gymnastics coaching background really came in as far as having an analytical eye about, um, you know, human movement and, and as, it, as it relates to apparatus right yeah. I, you know i coached girls gymnastics and if we had a short gymnast we had to lower her uneven bars and move the sliders close together to get the bars closer so that the gymnast it fit the gymnast you know body if, if uh i had a taller gymnast for vault i had to raise the vault up and pull the springboard back further so that it fit you know their body so well yeah and, and even dealing with yourself i mean it's one external variable that you can control absolutely absolutely so started paying more attention to you know, how the rope fit the body, you know, and what are the biomechanics involved to move the rope around your body? And, you know, just started paying attention to all those details and kind of formulating, you know, my own thoughts and principles on it. You know, I mean, at the time, there was YouTube and there was very limited um, information out there that, you know, that you could really find 
a cohesive, uh, concise description of this is what you need. If you're this big and this is the type of jumping you're trying to do, these are the skills you want to perform. Here's the type of rope you should start with, you know, and, and there just really wasn't anything out there. Um, so I just started developing it for myself and in developing those sets of principles about how the rope should fit and move around the body and the biomechanics of, of accomplishing that. And then also the physics of, well, which ropes are more conducive, create a better learning curve, um, you know, eliminate more variables, right? Mm-hmm. And, and improve tolerances. Like what, what are those factors in the physics of a rope um, that I can lean into? And so I just, you know, again, started putting those together until I came up with a pretty simple, crude, but extremely effective jump rope. And it's the same jump rope that we've sold globally now for over a decade and probably responsible for more people learning their double unders than any other rope I can imagine mm-hmm. uh, is, is our classic RX jump rope. With I've got two of them. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. I appreciate that. Thanks and for- about four different wires because uh, I couldn't settle on a particular weight until I really got them. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Everybody's different, right? That was the other thing we started noticing early on is that, you know, people, you know, based on people's um, coordination and their, their awareness and their sensitivity and their, you know, fingertips and wrists, you know, all of these different variables, different gauges of, of wire respond differently, right? Like, oh yeah, you know, light wires are really hard for some people. They just can't feel it. And, um, you know, heavier wires are, are uh, you know, provide more resistance and more feedback. And so those seem to be a better direction to go. And yeah, so there's just a variety of things that play there. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's when I figured out that, okay, a rope should fit you in this manner. Um, and no more than that, that was, we kind of came up with the height plus three feet. If you ever see anywhere where it says your rope length should be height plus three feet, I created that 12 years ago. Right. So that, 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 that was something that we just through testing and taking all of our members of the gym and bringing in a bunch of sample ropes of different sizes and then logging their height and then give them a rope, let them jump, watch their arm positioning, watch where the rope was contacting the ground in front of them, how much clearance was coming over overhead, yeah. and then take it out of their hands, give them a different rope, right? change the size. And just started, you know, logging data, logging data, logging data until we put the right rope in their hands, which usually was height plus three feet or a little shorter. And all of a sudden those people are hitting PRs without even trying. They just, they start doing their double unders and they just keep on going and big smile on their face, their eyes get big. And we're like, okay, great. That's your size. Right. You know, it was just really that kind of like just simple trial and error and experimentation. Um, and then kind of arrived at that simple math. Okay. Height plus three feet. And typically if you, um, if you, if you step one foot into the middle of your rope, if you hold your handles together, step one foot into the middle of the rope, pull the cord up, up tight, um, keep your handles horizontal. Like don't, don't include right. the, yeah. the handle into the measurement. And if you stand up really tall with your feet together and, and put the, the cord up against your, your chest, the height plus three feet invariably will be very close to that round trip measurement from the bottom of your sternum under one foot back to the bottom of your sternum. Mm-hmm. It'll be really close, like within a couple inches. And typically the, the sternum measurement will be a little bit shorter, which is actually better. You know, height plus three feet is kind of like the longest you want to go, but it's really almost too long. Uh, when your efficiency improves, you really want to drop that down, and that allows your arms to fall in a more natural hanging position from the shoulder girdle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the height plus three feet is consistently when I'm asked what I respond with when people are saying, what length should I get? And it's, you know, it's very much from what I learned off of your site um, and the fact that it worked. I mean, it, you know, there's there's no no uh, no bones about it. it. It absolutely was the right length for me. Um, it still took me forever to get them, but that had nothing to do with the equipment or anything else. I had a, I, I don't know whether it was just a neurological switch had to had to get flipped um, because at some point, just overnight, all of a sudden I got them. I can't figure out for the life of me what changed. It was not an external variable. It was definitely something in my head. Um, but and, and now I feel a little bit silly that I wasn't able to get them earlier. Um, right. So whenever I'm asked, I, I find it, 
it's it's weird. I mean, I, I was always able to coach them before, uh, even before I got them, because um, I could adequately describe what people needed to do, and yet I couldn't hit that rhythm myself uh, until that switch got flipped. Uh, and now when I go back and I watch some of the, the, the CrossFit documentaries and all the games athletes having difficulty going back down to singles, I completely understand why, <laughs> because the the when I stopped thinking about my hands and started thinking about my feet, everything changed for me. And so the double snap became a single in my head as I, as I was counting. And that made the world of a difference to my tempo. And now I understand how hard it is to go back to singles because I can't stop myself from snapping my wrists twice. Right. Right. And, and you hit it on the head. I mean, that's the, that's the biggest fallacy that we have to try and correct people in, in that, you know, when, you know, besides posture, you know, like proper posture and form and where your hand positioning is and things like that, yeah. you need to understand that your, your bound height dictates how fast the rope needs to go. Right. And, and then that in turn is where your hands need to activate to rotate the rope, but your bound height should dictate that. And people that are learning the more emphasis is, is prioritized on turning the rope and then trying to make the bound match the rope speed. And that's why they fail. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we, we have a real simple, I mean, it really just took gymnastics 101 uh, uh, based on progression and applied that to the jump rope movement. And, and it's, it's so effective to teach somebody that way, you know, let them understand the difference in their bound height and also understand that the more bound you give yourself, the more opportunity you you've created to have success, right. To get the rope twice because at the beginning timing is going to be off that that's understandable people have to understand the timing i mean your your biggest sword in your in your arsenal is timing if you have impeccable timing then that trumps that trumps almost everything else right yeah but if you until you have that timing then airtime is your is your best friend that's your secret weapon getting in the air will will cure a lot of faults right just at least to start building some success, success builds confidence. And once you have that, you can then start, you know, tweaking and, and adjusting and getting things formulated, right. To get, to get into the right position and posture. So that's the, the angle we, I mean, we get everybody into the right position first. They understand what their body should look like and feel like and, and perform like. Um, but then all the emphasis is on bounding, getting in the air, give yourself the time, and then, you know, learning how to really deprioritize rotating the rope, right? We have to, that's a big, um, you know, mental shift for people. And it's really like, it's almost like putting them through detox, you know, like this is going to feel ugly. You're going to hate it. And it's going to feel, you know, really bad. Um, you're going to feel out of control, but you need to stop worrying about turning the rope and start worrying about getting in the air. And once we know that they will get in the air every time we ask them to get in the air at the adequate height. Um, then we can say, okay, now that you're, now that you're airborne, let's, let's fix your rotating. Let's position your hands properly. You know, let's get the rope rotating at the right timing for when you leave the, you know, leave the ground, things like that. So it's much easier to coach it that way and correct somebody if they're getting in the air, if they're, if they're not getting in the air, they can sense that they can feel it. So the natural human instinct is to speed up the rope because they didn't get themselves in the air. So they've got to squeeze that rope in, right, with that, that uh, minimal air time. Yeah. And that's when, that's when all good technique goes out the door. The minute they're trying to rush and, you know, they, everything gets tense, their, their forearms and wrists tense up, shoulders tense up. They start donkey kicking or doing funky things with their feet. They're doing everything to try and squeeze that rope in with minimal air time. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a big, um, uh, you know, light switch moment where it's like, oh my gosh, you know, especially I just got back from power monkey. I don't know if you're familiar with power monkey camp, uh, that we, no. we've been a part of, you haven't heard of power monkey. No. Oh my goodness. Um, so power has it monkey, come to Canada yet though? I mean, in fairness. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, we get a lot of Canadians that attend it. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, no, uh, power monkey is held in the same location. At least it has for the past seven years. We just had our, our 14th camp. Um, so it's been running for seven years, uh, uh, running twice a year. There's a spring camp and a fall camp. And, you know, it's, it's held at this amazing facility in, in a place called Crossville, Tennessee, 
which is 30 minutes due east of Cookville, Tennessee. and, and mm-hmm. Which CrossFitters certainly recognize. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's just right down the road. And so the facility is a, um, is a, a privately owned gymnastics camp on a, on a 150 acre uh, wooded property with a lake and a 30,000 square foot gymnastics facility, a chow hall, a bunch of bunk, bungalows that are, that are bunkhouses for campers. And so during its, during its peak season, which is summertime, you know, uh, young gymnasts, you know, male and female gymnasts will come in, you know, uh, 300, 300 at a time, spend a week getting trained by some of the top Olympians and Olympic coaches and, and collegiate coaches in the U.S. And they'll spend a whole week, you know, having fun, doing games, you know. Uh, I mean, it's like summer camp. It's amazing, right? So so that facility's uh, intended use is. But then when kids are back in, in school, uh, and kind of hits slow season for the, the camp facility. They rent it out to corporate events, retreats. I mean, you name it, weddings. I mean, it's a beautiful property. So Dave Durante, who is a, um, a former U.S. Olympic team member for gymnastics, Chad Vaughn, who's a two-time uh, Olympian for the U.S. in weightlifting, they had been traveling around doing um, kind of a tandem workshop, you know, teaching gymnastics skills and uh, only skills to CrossFit gyms. And they got the idea about hosting a camp at that facility because Dave was one of the, was one of the coaches during the gymnastics, you know, camps that, that, that were put on there. So, so he's very familiar with the, the property and, and the facilities and, and the owners of the, the owners of the uh, facility, the, the owners are two former Olympians as well, uh, gymnastics Olympians. So uh, yeah, so he just decided, you know, that they wanted to try and put on this CrossFit camp for CrossFitters for adults and, and it's run very much like the kids camp for gymnastics. They bring in the top coaches in their discipline, in the sport, in the world. I mean, we have almost all, all of the instructors uh, are Olympians. A good number of them are Olympic medalists. And, and then also guys like Chris Hinshaw, right? Nine-time Ironman triathlete. Um, and, and then, you know, physical therapists, um, uh different, you know, mental mindset. Don Fletcher's a mental mindset coach uh, for like you know, like a sports, uh, sports therapy type uh, approach. Uh, we teach the gymnastics. We're like the least decorated, um, you know, clinicians in the group where we teach the gymnastics or the jump rope segment of, uh, of camp, which is still phenomenal. People learn so much that they're, they're stoked after they leave our, leave our station. But yeah, and you, you go for a week and, um, and it's just, it's it's so much fun. Like I mean, you you learn a ton. It's all it's all uh, really um, grounded on foundational understanding of movement for all of those different you know rowing, snatch, clean and jerk, muscle ups, pull ups, handstand push ups. You, know, you kind of go through like double unders, right? You go through the whole wow. gamut of, of skill work, and everything is grounded in foundational understanding foundational movement um, and progression you know once you have the foundation now you understand you'll you'll understand the progression to you know make those improvements and so uh it's just a phenomenal camp and then you work out way more than you want to work out i had to learn how to start saying no because you know working out was kind of like it was kind of like you know currency Hey, you want to do a wad? You know, come do a wad with me. All right, great. You go do a wad, and then a little while later, somebody else like, "Hey, I was going to do this other wad. You want to come wad?" And then you go do another workout, and 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 you just beat yourself down before the week is over. But um, but yeah, you don't have to. Like it's 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 there if you want it, and and or you can just now. I just if I get my one one good workout in, good sweat, uh, good heavy breathing, I'm good. You know, the rest of the time I'm there to coach and interact and uh, enjoy the enjoy the scenery. So. Yeah, just got back from Power Monkey Camp. You know, I spent a week there last week, and um, and it's just it's so fun to get people in the workshop and um, and you know, kind of survey different skill levels, and you know, you you have the gamut of people who have no double unders and might even struggle at singles, may not have very you know sound single unders, mm-hmm. uh, and and in the same group will be somebody who's been uh, practicing triple unders, right? Because they're they're there's more advanced, more experienced. We teach them the exact same uh, workshop, right? The exact same workshop and uh, from start to finish because, 
you know, the, the advanced athlete needs to hear what the foundation is, right. And learn the foundation. So that helps their, their understanding of the movement for their progression right. and will make learning any new skills that much easier. So, so it's pretty awesome to like, you know, get, get these, these, uh, athletes in there. And a lot of times they come to our station thinking, Hey, I can already do double unders. I'm working on triple unders. What are these guys going to teach me? You know, like they really have no concept until we break it down for them, really break it down and help them understand all of the micro movement, all of the, the physics involved and, and the efficiencies that you can gain. And a lot of these athletes leave there just, you know, stoked on how much they learned and how much they can now improve their own performance, you know? So it, it, it's pretty cool. Really, really rewarding. Wow. You have to look into that. You, you'll definitely... yeah, I found the website. It uh, looks pretty impressive. Hmm. Yeah. I'm surprised you haven't heard about it really. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, I mean, it, you know, Dave Durante and Chad Vaughn used to be on CrossFit's um, seminar staff for gymnastics and only lifting. And, oh, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, and Chad Vaughn actually was running, I think they're like, I don't know if you call it their level two barbell class or kind of higher level barbell class, I believe, if, I, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. But, but um, you know, so they've, they've both been around CrossFit for a long time. And um, and so, yeah, they, they got the idea to develop this camp. They, they pitched it to me back in 2013. You know, we were at the games together, you know, uh, as vendors and, and they told me this idea, uh, their idea about this camp. And I was in hook, line and sinker, you know, immediately. And I mean, they had me from, from the word camp, you know? And, uh, and so I got behind it and, and tried to help, you know, sponsor it and, you know, uh, publicize it. And we, you know, we brought, tons of athletes like top level top tier crossfit games athletes out to the camps as kind of like guest guest athletes who would just jump in and participate in the camp just like every other camper and so that was a great experience for for uh, the average crossfitter to get to you know be in a group with um you know uh, Liz- elizabeth Akin wally to pull a name from the past or china cho mm-hmm. Fouché, or you know uh, brooke wells or whoever uh, actually I take that back. Brooke has not been to camp. We've been trying to get Brooke to camp, but her schedule is always conflicted. But, you know, Katrin Davis' daughter and Annie Thor's daughter have been to the camp. And, you know, just a ton of athletes. Alex Smith goes to camp, you know, every every camp now. He's kind of like a camp ambassador almost. He loves it so much. So, yeah, you get to, you know, hang out with them just like an everyday person and, you know, eat eat lunch and breakfast with them shoulder to shoulder at the dining table. And and uh, it's, it's a cool experience. Very That's cool. cool. Yeah. So when you, when you, you, you were, you went about this in, in a problem solving way. I mean, you were identifying the, the mechanics that were throwing you off, but also looking at what are the fundamental changes to the, the physical piece of equipment that you were using that could help get your skills higher. When did that become a business? Um, you know, what, what was the point that you said, Hey, you know, other people are going to benefit from this at the same time. And I, I want to make, turn this into, you know, an actual manufacturing and, and training business. You know, the, the, the marketplace, the marketplace dictated, I had no choice, honestly. It wasn't like I made a conscious decision of, wow, people really need this and I'm going to be the guy to give it to them. Right. Mm-hmm. That was, that never happened. It was, it was a matter of yeah, how I explained earlier that I would test out our members and get them the right size jump rope and then they'd hit a PR immediately. And then the next question was, can you make me one? And I would say, sure, I'll make you one. No problem. So I would, mm-hmm. at the time I would literally go by a jump rope because the, the handle itself, I did not design the, the shape of the handle, right? That was an existing handle. It's been on the market for, for eons, mm-hmm. but it happened to be the handle that I liked the feel the most. And I was able to assemble my, my, you know, um, swivel, swivel, um, assembly too. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and then connect the cable and made a non-adjustable, a set length cable, uh, just to eliminate failure because right. Every adjustable speed rope typically fails at one point or another, right? That, yeah. Just- that's been the biggest problem I've had with any of the adjustables that I've ever tried. And I've run through quite a number of them. Yep. Just so I don't know if it's something about the way that I flick my wrist or whether it just eventually happens anyway, but you know, if it isn't held in from both sides of the rope around the spinning mechanism, it, it moves. And so suddenly the rope winds up shorter on you and you trip. 
Yeah. You know what? It, it, that's just friction. You know I mean? That's, that, that's, that's, you know, that's, uh, that's physics. That's life, right? That's mm-hmm. friction. Uh, something gets enough, you know, vibration, uh, you know, applied to it. Things loosen up. Next thing you know, that set screw comes loose. The wire comes popping out or whatever. So, so, you know, that happened early on, uh, in our experiences with the, the cheap little speed ropes that were on the market at the time. Yeah. And, you know, and so right away I'm like, well, if the rope fits me, why do I care if it adjusts for anybody else? I just want it to fit me. So I'm going to mm. make my height that I need and I'm going to. Yeah, I'm lock. not getting any taller mid-wad. There you go. Exactly. Just make it permanent, right? And it's just attached with a key ring so you can take it off like you take a key off a key ring and you can put something else on, you know, if you want to try and go shorter or whatever. So, um, yeah, so basically they'd ask me to make my jump rope. I'd go buy a jump rope, a perfectly good jump rope from the sporting goods store, strip everything off of it to a raw naked handle, you know, wrap the handle in tennis grip, you know, start assembling all of my internals that created my swivel system, uh, which is the one thing we did patent is that that assembly and uh, attach the cable to it at their height and then bring it back to them the next day and give them a jump rope. And they were stoked. And this, you know, this just kept happening one after another after another. And, you know, I was I was immensely flattered, you know, like that people liked what I created because. Leading up to that, the funny thing is in my gym, I mean, everybody there, we're all friends, we're family, like, you know, just like any CrossFit gym. And, but I was kind of, I was kind of a laughing stock. Like everybody knew that I sucked at double unders. And when I started trying to make my own jump ropes, and I'd bring in these prototypes, you know, like the gym owner, who's one of my best friends, would give me the hardest time. What are you doing, Newman? Like, well, you're making a jump rope? Like, that was just the most asinine thought, you know, that... Like, what are you doing? What, what's this going to accomplish? And I just said, don't worry about it. This is just my own little fun project and I'm having fun with it. And it was, you know, just something I wanted to do. And uh, so I was kind of, yeah, it was kind of a running joke and, until I started making something that people were improving from and getting better off of and, and asking for one. And next thing I know, I'm just making jump rope after jump rope. And, you know, uh, after the the real estate crash of 08 that I mentioned, you know, we, we kind of fell on hard times and, and had a rough, you know, rough time of it. And, and we were pretty broke at that point. And my, my wife would look at our bank account and, and see that I was spending all this money buying jump ropes and buying cable and hardware from the hardware store. And mm-hmm. she asked me like, what the heck are you doing? And I said, well, I'm making jump ropes for my friends. You know, they're asking for one. And that she's the one that told me, look, you know, I'm glad that you have a fun little hobby, but you need to at least charge people for the material. And which I was super embarrassed by. I just thought, man, I was so happy to give somebody a gift and, and it was helping them get better. So, uh, yeah, I finally had to say, Hey, look, uh, I can make you a rope, but it's going to cost you 20 bucks. And, and that didn't even cover the actual cost of the materials. Right. But the time cost closer to 25 and I was just charging them 20 because that was an easy number and, and I felt guilty doing it. And so, yeah, I just did that long enough that, um, you know, people from other gyms, you know, you'd go to a little weekend throwdown or comp and people from other gyms would, would see a rope and ask to try it out and then they'd want one. And, and then um, my workout buddy, uh, Joe Craig, was, was uh, my training partner. He was a, a young Navy rescue swimmer at the time and, and my training partner. Um, but his wife actually said, "Dave, you should put these on on Facebook and see if um, see if people are you know will in, are interested in buying it off Facebook." Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't have a Facebook at the time; I had no idea really how it worked. And I'm like, "Great! If you want to set it up for me, let's let's give it a shot." And you know, sure enough, did that and started getting orders from you know the East Coast and you know other other states. And so, yeah, kind of took off from there. So, yeah, I I had no intention of selling jump ropes. Um, never thought anybody else needed it besides me. It was solely a selfish endeavor. And, um, and it was just, you know, right place, right time, right problem to have. And, and maybe the right person to solve it, I guess. I don't know. Definitely Uh, good timing too, because I mean, when I, when I think about the, the life cycle of CrossFit as a sport, you know, in, in around 08, 09, 2010, it was really starting to take off. And so you were, you were perfectly poised to be able to capitalize on the growth of the interest in the sport. 
And that had spillover effects outside of CrossFit proper as well. I mean, there were lots of other, um, lots of other people in the fitness space that were emulating some of those same things. And so they'd be consistently looking for uh, similar gear as well. I mean, they're, you know, somebody talks about the fact that they're, uh, you know, they're suddenly able to get double unders and it's a key part of their training, whether they're a CrossFitter or not, chances are they're going to be interested in uh, what their buddy is using. Um, And so, you know, I, I have to imagine that the growth came pretty quickly as the growth of the sport started to explode. Yeah, I, uh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it was kind of crazy. I think two, two things happened that really sparked, um, a, a drive up in our, in our, um, exposure and, and, and sales, let's say one of them was, um, getting invited to go to the games in 2010. Mm-hmm. And, um, basically, you know, I have a good buddy named Amit Jones who owned CrossFit SoCal in San Diego. One of the, one of the, one of the earliest, um, CrossFit gyms in San Diego. And he was a, a Navy radiologist, former track star, collegiate track star, just a super all around smart, good guy. And, but he also worked for Bill and Katie, um, at Rogue, and, you know, at one point he tried to start his own little equipment business, online equipment business. And this is when Rogue was pretty small as well. Like they only started in seven. Right. And so, uh, you know, Bill got a hold of Amic and said, Hey, why don't we join forces? I'll, I'll, I'll basically buy you out and you come work with us type of thing. And so, so he did while he was still a, a Navy doctor and running his gym. And so, um, anyway, you know, Amic was in 2010 was hosting the, uh, the sectionals that one year that they had sectionals, mm-hmm. uh, leading into regionals. And, and we went over, a few of us went over to offer to help set up or move equipment or whatever he needed. And, and, and I brought him a jump rope as a gift and, um, you know, he pulled it out and started jumping with it and hit a PR literally first use started jumping and hit a, hit a PR did like, it was like 120, 129 double unders in a row. Right. And just grinning ear to ear. It was hilarious. And he goes, man, we need to show these to Bill and Katie. And I, I go, okay, you know, I mean, Rogue wasn't that big. So I was like, whatever, you know, I wasn't that excited about it. Right. Um, and uh, so he talked to Bill and Katie about it and, and Bill was interested. At the time, Rogue was only carrying like, I think, three different jump ropes that he was, they were just getting, you know, from a, a cheap distributor overseas, you know, a cheap little wire speed rope, uh, a beaded rope. And the other one might have been kind of like a, a tie boxing rope or something. I can't recall exactly, but they had three, three ropes that, um, they they were importing. And so Bill said, sure, let's try it out. Let's have them come up to the games and, you know, sit at our booth and, and see how the ropes sell. And so, um, yeah, they invited us up and it was the very first year in Carson. And, um, and that, that's what, you know, obviously there were, um, there were foreigners there, a lot of Aussies. I remember a lot of Aussies being there and I can't remember what other, what other countries, you know, came over, uh, mm. for the games, but, uh, you know, we definitely got more international, um, exposure and we sold out. We absolutely crushed it. People, it was, it was the same thing I experienced in my gym when I was kind of just testing everything out is, you know, cause we really didn't know what we were doing. That was our first time ever interfacing kind of in a public event like that and, and, you know, trying to sell our jump ropes. Right. I mean, we didn't need to, the cool thing is we found, we didn't need to sell it. Somebody would walk up, want to try one. We would eyeball them, size them up, give them the size we thought they needed and let them start jumping, started giving them some easy coaching cues and tweaks. And then next thing you know, they're hitting a PR on our jumping mat. And then they're just throwing, they're throwing their money on the table. You know, where, where do I buy one? So, and that became our, our approach from the very beginning, just help people learn, help people learn and they'll like the product. And so we absolutely crushed it at the game, sold out. It was amazing. I mean, just an amazing experience. Um, Jason Kalipa used, uh, used one of our ropes during the competition that year. Cause he didn't have, he found himself without a jump rope of all things. And, uh, you know, he's, he's whatever, two years removed from winning the games right. and, uh, he might've podium. I don't remember if he podium that year or not. I know he got on the podium a few more times, but mm. he used our, our, our rope during the games that year. Um, another athlete, uh, Megan Smith from Australia, she was one of the other, um, first gals to use our ropes at the games uh, that same year for that same event. 
Paul Flores, the owner of our gym, that was the first year they had a master's category, which was just 15 above. Right. And he qualified to that and, and podium that year took third. Um, and so he was one of the first athletes. Uh, we call him kind of our first sponsored athlete just because, you know, he, he, he used, I don't even remember if, if masters did double unders in 2010. I don't think they did, but he was still our, our first sponsored athlete, but um, yeah, it was super cool. And then also at that game, um, Bill Grundler, I don't know if you're familiar with Bill Grundler. Yeah. He's you, yep, one of the announcers. He's cr- owner of CrossFit Inferno, a longtime friend. He and I competed, you know, we're about the same age. So we competed against each other. We were always the old guys competing against the young guys, you know, trying to get games um before they had a master's category and and uh, bill was far far better athlete than me and would always he would always be in that top you know five mix typically but uh so he and i had been buddies for a while and he brought justin judkins um over to meet me at the rogue booth and justin at the time was running crossfit radio which was really just a podcast Hmm. and early podcast and you can still find some of his episodes but Justin's a cool guy. He was a CrossFitter and a wrestling coach out of Utah. So introduced me to Justin and Justin's like, Hey, I want to have you on the show. And I'm like, great. So he did eventually like after the games, you know, uh, a week or two after had me on a show. And as soon as that show aired, um, my, I think at the time I had a Blackberry, <laughs> my Blackberry started, started pinging and going off and I'm, I'd look at it. And all of a sudden I've got an order from Sweden and another order from somewhere in Europe. I mean, it was crazy right. to find out that a lot of the Europeans would listen to that radio podcast to find out what was going on in CrossFit in the U.S. You mm-hmm. know, so, um, yeah. So those those two things I think kind of really put us on the map and kind of got us going and got us a little bit more recognition. So it was awesome. That's time on part one of this supersized episode of the Box Jumper Podcast. I hate to cut it there, but part two is coming in just a few days, so don't miss it. Time for a really brief AM wrap-up. In the first part of our chat, David credits his success with the fact that he's more interested in his customer's success than his own, a mindset he held long before getting into the fitness game, but that expression of his passion certainly had a measurable impact on his success with RX Smart Gear. He also has no illusions that timing has played a role in his success, but as an entrepreneur myself, I can say that timing isn't its own reason for success, but rather a catalyst for the success when you recognize that timing as an opportunity and capitalize upon it. Otherwise, that timing can just as easily become a home run pitch that you watched sail by. In a couple of days, I'll release part two of my chat with David Newman, which includes a great story about how his drag ropes wound up in phase one of the 2020 CrossFit Games. Make sure you turn in, tune in for that. Uh, if you don't want to miss it, subscribe for automatic downloads of the podcast on your favorite podcasting app, and be sure to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. My handle is at BoxJumperOver40 uh, with digits four zero. And of course, visit my website, BoxJumper.ca, for more information, show notes, links, reviews, tips, as well as to sign up for my mailing list. And if you like this episode... Please feel free, write a, write a review or at least give it a star rating on iTunes or Google, or just ch- talk up the podcast to your fitness buff friends. The next episode is mere hours away. Until then, stay healthy, wad happy, and wad often. <laughs>